0: All right, if you have a Bible, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 37. We're going to move through uh, the the last part of the book of Genesis today during the sermon. So grab a Bible and keep that close by. Uh, Many years ago when I was getting ready to go to college, I had an idea in mind with what I wanted to do with my life. And one of my goals was to play college football. I made a decision. I was going to go to ACU and I was going to play football there. So in August of that year, the last thing I needed to do was to get medically cleared. I had to go see a doctor, get a physical, and then I'd be cleared to play. Well, I showed up for my doctor's visit that day, and to my surprise, the doctor said, I can't clear you to play. And I was like, why not? And he said, your heart is skipping beats. So he sent me through a bunch of tests, heart monitor, all this stuff. In the meantime, I wind up in Abilene. And practice has already started, and I have to go to practice every day and just sit there on the sidelines in short and a t-shirt because because I couldn't play yet. The doctor not cleared me to play. And after a, a few weeks of doing this, I talked to the coaches, and basically we just decided I just won't play football that semester, and then maybe by the next semester I'll be medically cleared to play. Well, I was devastated. I mean, that was my goal. That was one of my dreams was to play college football, and I wasn't able to do it. Now, I'm not happy in any way about having kind of a heart condition. It's something that's flared up on and here and there, on and on over the last several years, and it's not fun. It can be scary at times. But looking back on that situation, wow, that wound up to be one of the best things that could have happened to me. Again, Not happy about the heart problem, but the fact that I wound up not playing football because of it, it opened up my life to go in a very different direction. The experiences I had, the people that I met, the decisions I made to go with my future, I probably would not have made those decisions had I spent most of my life playing college football, not that there's anything wrong with it. So I'm thankful that I was prevented from playing. Something that I thought was so horrible at the time wound up being a good thing for me. I wonder how many of you have had similar experiences where something in the moment really hurt you and you thought, this is not great, this is not what I had in mind, this was not my plan, and then looking back on it, you're like, well, I'm kind of glad that didn't work out. I heard a story many years ago about a guy that was lost in the woods and he was waiting for his rescue crew to show up, but he wound up lost in the woods for quite a while. So he built a hut for himself to have some sort of shelter, and he was thankful for that, because the whole time he was lost in the woods, he was spending time praying. And one day, he left his shelter, and he went out hunting to try to find some food, and when he came back, uh, he realized that he had forgot to put his fire out, and somehow his hut had caught on fire and was burning to the ground. And this, oh, this hurt him really bad because out of all the things that he is already going through, now his shelter was gone. So he cried out to God and he just prayed and he said, why, God, why are you letting this happen to me? And then not too long after that, a rescue crew showed up. And he was surprised and he said, how did y'all find me? And they said, we saw your smoke signal. So this guy's sitting here thinking he is at the end of his rope. He can't handle any more Now his hut's burning down and he thinks that's it. That's the last, that's all I can take. That's that's it. And then come to find out that that was actually the thing that led to his rescue. Sometimes our hut burns down so that God can send a rescue crew. Sometimes bad things happen and it's through that that Jesus re-enters our life. What I'm trying to get us to think about is to not get so caught up in the individual moments that we live in and kind of the box that we live in, the here and now, but to think about the bigger picture, to think with an eternal perspective. And I want to be careful with this. and I don't want to sound insensitive at all, because I know that some of you who are watching, you've gone through some traumatic experiences, you've suffered loss, and maybe you're grieving right now, and I'm not trying to say, hey, don't worry about that, something good's going to happen. All I'm trying to get us to do is to just kind of think about life from the perspective of the bigger picture. Because really, this is the Joseph story. And the Joseph story starts in Genesis chapter 37. And here in a second, we're about to read and kind of dive into the Word here. But before we do this, I want to remind you that I've been in this sermon series called People Problems. God has wired us for relationships and having friendships, relationships, family, marriages, These relationships fulfill us the most in life, but they also can cause us the most amount of pain, and the book of Genesis is filled with people problems and family problems, and you are about to really see that in Genesis chapter 37. Instead of me reading it, Jed Bowers, one of our kids here at Pine Tree, he's going to read Genesis chapter 37, verse 1 through 11, so I'm going to kick it over to Jed right now, and I want you to follow along with him as he reads
1: Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of seventeen, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and then he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind.
0: Okay, thanks Jed for reading that for us. So you can see the problems there the family problems, the people problems in Genesis 37. Joseph is a tattletale. He's coming home and he's telling on his brothers. We read that in verse 2. We read in verse 3 that Joseph is the favorite son. Jacob loves Joseph more than the other brothers and he even gives them this special coat. Come on, Jacob. I mean, playing favorites, that's not good parenting. We've talked about that in the sermon series already. Why? Because... That's the kind of environment that Jacob was raised in. His dad loved Esau. His mom loved him. His parents chose favorites. Well, not only that, that happened with his grandparents, with Abraham and Sarah. So these bad parenting models have been passed down from generation to generation, and now Jacob can't help but repeat it, and he loves one of his sons more than the others. And as a result, the brothers can't stand Joseph. They don't like him. They hate him. The word hatred is used several times. There's, they're jealous of him. Joseph is kind of arrogant and, and a little bit ignorant, and he tells his brothers about the dreams that he had and how they're going to wind up bowing down to him, which made them hate Joseph even worse. And then, if you kept reading after verse 11, uh, Joseph goes out to find his brothers one day when they see him coming. In Genesis 37, verse 18 through 20, they look at him, and they're just they're just like, here comes that dreamer. You know what we need to do with him? Let's kill him. Well, they wind up not killing him, but they do throw him in a pit, sell him as a slave, and they take that special coat that his dad gave him, and what do they do? They put blood all over it. They brought it back to Jacob, and they let Jacob draw his own conclusions, and Jacob assumes that Joseph's been killed by wild animals. And again, Jacob, earlier on in Genesis, who had been a person who deceived others he keeps winding up on the other end of deceit, and that happens again here. So it seems like a really sad story, and in that part it is. That's hard to read, you know, so much hatred and violence involved in these family affairs. Well, if you looked ahead in in Genesis chapters 39, 40, and 41, Joseph's life is like a roller coaster. He's sold as a slave, winds up in Egypt, Uh, He's framed by Potiphar's wife because he holds on to his integrity, and then he finds himself in prison. Well, God gives Joseph the ability to interpret dreams, and he interprets Pharaoh's dream, and then Joseph winds up by the end of chapter 41. Joseph's 30 years old, and now he's second in command in all of Egypt. What a wild ride his life has been on those 13 years from the age of 17 when his brothers sold him as a slave to the age of 30. Well, God was working through the whole thing. And Joseph held on to his faith and he held on to his integrity the entire time. So seven years of plenty go by and in Egypt, because of Joseph's plans, they're storing up food and then a famine hits which this famine, when you get to chapter 42, it sends Joseph's brothers to Egypt to look for food, and guess who they show up to ask for food from? They show up to Joseph. But they don't know that it's Joseph. You know, Joseph recognizes his brothers, which would have been an incredibly emotional thing, because at this point, it's been over 20 years since he last saw his brothers. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. In fact, in verse 8, we're told they don't recognize him. Why? Well, first of all, they're not expecting to see the brother that they sold as a slave as second in command in Egypt. He's probably bald. He's probably dressed like an Egyptian, like royalty. And he's speaking the Egyptian language and using an interpreter. So there's no way they recognize that this is their brother. But this is Joseph's chance. From a human perspective, Now the role has been reversed. And if Joseph wants to, he could get his revenge here. He has all the power. Here's his opportunity, but that's not his approach. His plan is to eventually bless his brothers and his family and to reconcile with them. He does string it out a little bit, but he doesn't take the approach that we probably would have or if we were watching a movie, we we want the person who's been wrong to wind up getting their revenge or vindicating themselves. And that's not Joseph's plan at all. And we see in chapter 42, like in verse 21 and 22, everything bad that's happening to the brothers, they keep assuming that anything bad happening to them is God getting them back. They are living with guilt, with chronic guilt because of what they did to their brother. So you can see how much the roles have reversed here. Well, we'll kind of fast forward a little bit to chapter 45. And even though Joseph knows it's his brothers, they still don't know it's Joseph and he can't contain it anymore. And he finally reveals himself uh, to his brothers. And instead of me reading this part in Genesis chapter 45, verse 3 through 8, Jonah Griffiths is going to read this for us. So I'm going to pass it on to Jonah and I want you to read along with him.
2: Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land, and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt.
0: Thank you, Jonah. So, reading that passage right there, I mean, what a shocker. Like, the brothers would have never expected this, and when he reveals himself, I am Joseph. Who knows how much fear they would have had in their heart at that point. But the great turn right there is that Joseph says, what you intended for evil or for harm, God has used for good. God has used this situation. Don't worry. Don't be upset with yourselves for this because God has used this to save life, to preserve life, to help people. Joseph sees this, this whole situation through the lens of the bigger picture, the eternal perspective. He's not mad. He's not holding a grudge. He's not trying to get his brothers back. He's just simply carrying way more about what God is doing than his own little people problems. Okay, well, they go back, they get the whole family, they get Jacob, they all come back to Egypt, and many years go by, and then we get to the end of the book of Genesis in chapter 50. And Jacob dies, and they give him this grand funeral, and they bury him. But guess what? That chronic guilt has followed the brothers their whole life, ever since what they did to Joseph, And they still are thinking, Joseph's going to get us back. So the last passage I want to read is Genesis chapter 50, verse 15 through 21. And instead of me reading it, I'm going to ask Caden Spencer to read this passage. I want you to follow along with Caden as he reads this for us.
3: When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But God said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them.
0: All right, thank you, Caden. So you look at this situation here, and the brothers are probably making this up, like, hey, dad said to take care of us. But Joseph has to reassure his brothers again for a second time, look, guys, I'm not out to get my revenge. And in verse 19, he says, am I in the place of God? It's God's place to judge. It's God's place to deal with the eternal life of human beings. Not, Joseph's saying, it's not my place to do that. And in verse 20, he says, you intended to harm me. He doesn't minimize their sin. He doesn't say, hey, it's no big deal. He's saying, yes, what you did was wrong. You did try to harm me. But then he goes on again with a bigger picture and he says in verse 20, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. Joseph is incredibly optimistic with this and incredibly faithful because again, what he cares more about It's not the wrong that was done to him and the people problems in his life. What Joseph cares more about is that God has been working through all this. And what his brothers intended for harm, God is using for good. Now this whole Joseph story reminds me of this parable that I heard many years ago. It's called the parable of the wise farmer. There was a farmer who uh, one day his horse ran away. And he depended on this horse for his livelihood. So his neighbors showed up at his house that night to mourn with him. They were upset for him. We're so sorry that your horse ran away. But the wise farmer was very calm and he simply said, who's to say what is good and what is bad? Well, then the next day, the horse returned. And the horse had connected with other wild horses out in the wilderness and Not only did his horse return, but the horse brought back many horses with him. So that night, the neighbors came back to his house, to the farmer's house, and they celebrated, and they said, this is great, what great fortune. Not only did your horse come back, but now you have several horses. But again, the wise farmer said, who's to say what is good and what is bad? The next day, the farmer's son hopped on one of those wild horses and tried to ride it and fell off and broke his leg. Well, the farmer needed his son to help work on the farm. So now life was going to be very difficult for them and his son was suffering. So the neighbors came back over again that night and they said, we are so sorry to hear about your son. This is horrible. But the farmer still said, who's to say what is good and what is bad? And then the next day, a group of soldiers came through this village And they were rounding up and stealing all the boys of the village and forcing them to go to war. When they got to the farmer's house and they saw that the son had a broken leg, they passed over. So the son got to stay with the dad. And again, the wise farmer said, who's to say what is good or what is bad? I, I like that story and it makes me think of the Joseph story because this farmer, he doesn't get too excited about the things that we normally get excited about, but he also doesn't get too devastated with the things that we mourn about. He kind of keeps this calmness about him because he realizes that what seems like it could be horrible may wind up being a good thing. And something that might cause us great pain, it may not be as bad as we think it is. and And so he's got this... Bigger picture perspective, and that's just like Joseph. Joseph wasn't caught up in himself. He wasn't caught up in getting revenge and holding a grudge throughout his whole life. That's how Joseph handled his people problems, was that he was way more focused on God's name being glorified and God's plans working out than he was his own problems. Joseph, he kept the bigger picture in mind, And the great paradox of the Christian faith is that we are called to find joy through suffering. And when somebody does something wrong to us, we don't repay evil for evil. We repay evil with love, with goodness. The great paradox of the Christian faith is that whether we have plenty or we have very little is that we are to be content because we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We can imitate what we see in Joseph. Is that Joseph had this God-centered worldview. And he knew that with the roller coaster of life, the ups and the downs, he's not going to get too upset and he's not going to get too excited. But what he's focused on is God's will being done in his own life and in the lives of others. You know, often when I think of the Joseph story, a passage in the New Testament that comes to mind is Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 where the Apostle Paul says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. I'll repeat that. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Now here's the theology of this. I'm not the type of person to say, hey, everything happens for a reason, and anything bad that happens in your life, I'm not going to say that God causes all those things. We do have an enemy that's working against us, and Satan. And I just don't, don't know everything. And I don't know that just because God had this huge plan for Joseph that every single bad thing that happens in our life, that, oh, it's all a part of some plan that God has orchestrated. Well, don't get too upset with me though, but what I'm trying to say is that no matter what happens in life, the good, the bad, the suffering, the trials, the evil things that other people do, that if we stay faithful and if we hold on to our integrity just like Joseph did, that God can cause good to come from these things. So as we go through this whole coronavirus and the ups and the downs and and not everybody agrees with each other on how to handle it and there's just so much going on so much to think about right now what's most important is that we stay faithful like joseph we hold on to our integrity and through the ups and the downs god will cause good to come through the faith and the love that we have for him and after all one of the worst things that's ever happened in human history, one of the greatest sins that's ever been committed, were those that crucified Jesus, the Son of God. And if you look at Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches this first gospel sermon, it's kind of similar to the Joseph story in a way, or at least it relates to it because Peter says, what you intended for evil by killing the Son of God, God has used that for something good through the crucifixion, through this horrible act of of killing Christ, through the death, burial, and resurrection, God has used it to offer salvation to all human beings. Now, if you've never received that salvation, hey, we just want to remind you as a church that you can still be baptized into Christ. We can still pray for you. We can still help you in any way possible. So reach out to us. Email us if you need that. And in the meantime, for those of you who are walking with Christ, imitate what you see in Joseph. Is stay faithful, stay calm, and hold on to your integrity. God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you right here again next week.